Hi, welcome to The Responsible Capitalist. This is Carol Sanford, your host. I have with me today Brian Smith out of British Columbia. He's the CEO at Rise of Capital. His career has taken him from the co-op movement to working with people with disabilities across Canada and from community economic development in the downtown east side of Vancouver to farming, farming beer, impact investing, and social venture startups in rural BC. I'm very excited to have you meet Brian because I believe he is up to a couple of things I care a great deal about, which is learning about investing locally and the difference you can make in a scale where you know the people and know what you're up to, as well as how it is you do economic and community development in areas using your money and your energy. Welcome, Brian. I'm really glad to have you with me today. Would you start out with giving us a little bit of background on how Rise of Capital works? All right, so your background, please. Uh, yeah, uh, I, um, my, my background is in what I would sort of call community economic development or what, what has been sort of commonly called community economic development, although I'll admit, you know, some of the language around that I think has changed a lot over the last 30 years. My heart, as I was saying, is more aligned with what I would call a social entrepreneur um, in that I, I have the skills of uh, and kind of language and knowledge of, of bureaucrat, but the uh, ambition of an entrepreneur who wants to change things, who's yeah. not satisfied. Um, so I've always sort of looked for uh, how to have a bigger impact. And so worked for a long time in the disability movement in and around building social enterprise Worked for about 10 years in the downtown east side of Vancouver, uh, doing you know, social enterprise development and working with the nonprofits and the public sector to build a healthier community in that neighborhood. Um, and then more recently moved to the, uh, a rural area on the Sunshine Coast and have been uh, sort of applying community economic development and social enterprise in a rural context. And now more recently with Rise of Capital, I'm kind of working on a more national stage of building uh, impact and, and um, and place-based investment funds uh, in a in a few different parts of the country. So the you know I think where we I think where you wanted me to kind of more focus is in around that local investing and where that came from. Yeah. Uh, really, the I was working as the executive director of a nonprofit that in Canada we have these organizations called Community Futures. Right. Uh, and they are they're most of them are about thirty years old. They were endowed by the federal government with both some investment capital and some operating capital on an annual basis. So our community futures is relatively small. It has a, a portfolio of about $6 million. Um, and, and, uh, and we do, uh, for, for lack of a better term, essentially small business financing. Um, most of it is in debt, providing debt to businesses or entrepreneurs who really aren't bankable. So either they don't have collateral or they don't have cash flow from uh, you know, from a profitable business to take on more debt. So Community Futures kind of fills that gap in the finance ecosystem. But more and more, we've heard over the last, I would say, three or four years, especially um, social entrepreneurs, you know, so entrepreneurs who, are, who have a multiple bottom line kind of business model or have ambitions around blended value of not just financial return, but social and ecological return. They, they often say we don't, we have a hard time raising capital, especially early stage seed stage capital. That early stage equity is a real gap in what I would call sort of the social finance ecosystem. So could I yeah. stop you a second and ask a question? Um, yeah. I'm 
I'm very interested in how you make sure or get engaged with local entrepreneurs who have, in some ways, they may have more skill than they have bankability, but uh -huh. you also got to make sure they have all the skill and the right kind of people in place and make sure they're building organizations. I'm wondering how you, in thinking about Rise Capital, make choices and then what you do with them beyond the choice of, yeah, we'll give you some debt. Yeah, so, so just to be clear, um, we, we do investments. We're mo RISA is mostly investing in equity. Okay. Uh, and that is because our parent companies of RISA Capital are a credit union uh, and the Community Futures Organization. Both of those parent companies can do the debt. Like we know there is debt there available. If only, and to your point exactly, if only the business or the entrepreneur can get past that early hard stage of proving themselves, of yeah. proving a business model has validity, of that there's impact with their business, and that they have the chops to be able to kind of build, run and build a business. So it's that early stage where Rise is really focused. And part of it is because of what you're getting at is because there isn't the support for those social entrepreneurs to build their capacity and to get that early stage capital. And then the you know credit unions and the community futures organizations can come along later and provide the debt. The, how we choose, um, you know, is a is a there. I would say it's as much a art form as it is a science. Um, in that, and I and I actually think due diligence is in in general. Um, we cannot be in this either this stage of a business you know, um, evaluation or assessment, nor in assessing a person like a social entrepreneur's character. You can't be formulaic about it, like, or there's only a limit to how much formula you can put behind that. Um, you know, banking, the banking, formal banking industry has formulas. They plug your net income in and they plug your, you know, age and your, you know, marital status. And then it turns out, yes, this person has, is credit, you know, credit worthy. It doesn't work like that. Um, at least the social enterprise and social finance scene is too young to have that level of sophistication or, or particularity to be able to do that. So it really is character-based, you know? And so the, our process is that our staff works with an entrepreneur or a new sort of fledgling social enterprise to do that early assessment, like what's your business model? Have you done the market research? You know, tell us about your revenues and your likely, you know, cost uh, structuring and so on. So we do that basic due diligence. And if our staff are satisfied that there is real merit to that investment, to the particular investment, then we take it to an investment committee. And that investment committee is made up of, you know, both community members who are looking for impact and meaning in their investments, yeah. as well as really savvy business and finance people. And together that, that investment committee makes an adjudication on whether we do an investment. Or, how, do, yeah. how do you get the community in a sense that you know they are able to reflect, maybe not speak for, but in some ways reflect that community? Because that would be critical if you had people who learned how to influence and got into those. Yeah, there must be a way you work on managing that. It is, and and we I, I think the we have the benefit of community futures in particular having a thirty year history uh, of building you know re representative boards of directors over those three decades as well as building investment committees that are representative of the whole community. Um, and really, you know, clear sets of terms of reference and policies around, you know, our investment strategies and their roles as, as representatives and so on and so forth. 
<clears throat> Fortunately, too, our credit union is 70 years old. And so, wow. and, and, and as you know, credit unions just inherently have a, yeah. a well-developed and mature approach to representation, to member representation. I'm starting to realize me and anybody who's listening to this is going to need to get more of this relationship clear about, um, sounds like there are three entities here which are interfacing. Um, yeah, there, you know, uh, there's actually a fourth, them. but yes. Okay, talk about all four then. How do they relate? Yeah, so um, the owners of Rise of Capital, so there's Rise of Capital, if you will, is sort of our mothership of, um, of local and, and impact investing. It is owned by three different entities. 51% uh, of Rise of Capital is owned by Community Futures, which is, as I say, a nonprofit organization. So that, that's, you know, social enterprise, we're already sort of layering in there and governance and so on and connection to community. Uh, the Sunshine Coast Credit Union owns 33% of Rise of Capital. So a significant, you know, needless to say, partner, uh, investor and potential, you know, collaborator on deals. <clears throat> and then the third party uh, partner who helped found Rise of Capital is a company called Powell River Community Investment Corporation. So those three entities own Rise of Capital. And then I'm gonna layer on the other piece of complexity is Rise of Capital owns subsidiary funds. Wow. So the money, technically investment money goes into our subsidiary funds and then is invested out of those funds. And you can think of it as Rise of Capital is the managing partner of each of those subsidiary funds. And the way we've built those subsidiary funds is that they are um, appropriate and applicable to a certain kind of investor and a certain kind of entrepreneur. Because in some cases, investors who have really high risk thresholds and want 15 or more percent annual income off of their, their you know, returns, that's not the kind of investing that leads to building child cares wow. you know, or car co-ops. Right. So on the other end of our spectrum, and I can go through sort of the, you know, some of the details about our spectrum of funds, is investors who just put $2,500 in because child cares matter, and they do that kind of investing. Well, you know, it would be actually helpful, I think, to hear a story. Uh, I'm now thinking of this as a podcast, right? And sure. I think that um, I actually have a picture now of the infrastructure that you've created. Yeah. Uh, and I even got a little idea how different aspects play different roles. Yep. Is there a story that would help us see some of that relationship and then how you're working and the outcomes that can happen when you do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so I'll start with a, you know, an example or a, a story about one of our portfolio companies named Sailor Soils. Uh, they are um, a, a, a majority uh, indigenous owned social venture is how I would sort of categorize them. Um, uh, on the Sunshine Coast, uh, there is uh, one of the Indian bands is the Seashell Indian Band, um, and uh, the principal of Sailor Soils, his name is Aaron Joe. He is a Seashell Indian Band member, um, and also within the reserve area of the Seashell Indian Band is a mine site. It's an aggregate mine, mine, uh, and the mining company has for about two decades just, you know pilfered the, all the value out of that land and really just taking all the rock aggregate and what's left on that land when it's done, when the mine company is done with it is sediment ponds. Yeah. So neither any arability or really, you know, structural integrity 
So you can't do anything with that land. So what Aaron's idea was, was what if we take that land and we build compost on it? We'll take the uh, backyard waste from tree trimmings and so on. We'll take food waste from people's you know, garbage instead of sending it to a landfill. And we'll take the fish farm waste from local fish farms being in a archipelago here. It's, uh, we have lots of fish farms. So all the dead fish and the guts and the, you know, sort of that stuff all comes to Salish soils on the former mine site and it becomes really rich compost. And then that compost, so uh, that compost then goes out to landscapers or local governments or farmers or, and so on and so forth. And so is adding, you know, arability, not just to that land, yeah. but the rest of the region. Um, and so, you know, it's a really, I think, neat example uh, you got in terms of impact, you got indigenous, young indigenous people learning employment and life skills. You have uh, the rebuilding of an ecology in an ecological, a local ecological system, you know, that is important for all kinds of regions that I know you know about. You're building an agricultural you know, value in the local agricultural scene. So food security is getting, you know, uh, you know, an uplift and so on and so forth. You're building economic value in terms of jobs and multiplier effects. Um, you're taking things out of the waste stream, so you're actually having environmental values. So just the layers of impact of that business model are extraordinarily rich. Riza came in very, you know, very, you know, enthusiastically and said, you know, we love this. We see what you're doing. We see the impact. We see the return. We see that the return isn't going to be venture capitalism. Like so, scaling that business model is very difficult. But the return is really viable in the sort of three to ten percent per annum. Uh, so there are a set of investors who want to invest and get fixed income you know, off of their investment and have it localized. There's a question I have in there. I think I understand what you're saying. You actually do a capital raise based on a particular investment you want to make and bring... No, no. no sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to give you that impression. Uh, we didn't, but when I go, uh, we, we just take, we do capital raising uh, separate from and before we know what we're going to invest in. Oh, okay. So I go to investors and I say, uh, I want you to invest in impact. Here's the likely returns we're projecting, but I can't tell you what you're going to invest in yet, nor do you have a say. Okay. And then you go and make the investments. But what we can do is we can give past investments as indications of what their investments are likely to be. Which go. is how most people make decisions. Have exactly. you proven yourself before, right? Indeed. Uh, and so, you know, when I talk about Sailor Soils, there are investors who you know come in at that time or just behind or you know or before who go yeah I'm invested in soil sailor soils technically you know they may or not may or may not have been in the right time for their money literally to flow through our bank account into sailor soils but in a way it doesn't matter it's more that we are collectively working on local investing that has impact let me like park that example for a moment and give you another example of what we do um, because it's because it's different um, okay. we we have over, you know, and I keep sort of moving from side to side because I see it along a spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a, a fund that is largely focused on more like venture capital kind of investing or what I would, I would put in front of that social venture capital investing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and these are in businesses, large, most of these businesses are technology businesses that have the potential of significant scalability and therefore significant appreciation in value. Uh, and just as an example of one of those, um, a company uh, that we invested in about three years ago now called um, Views IQ, the technology that they had developed was um, a diagnostic technology that, if you, and just to give you sort of a mental picture, a picture an attachment on a microscope that 
then uh, links digitally to the internet. And so what that allows doctors or diagnostics to do, oh, yeah. is they can now see samples in a 3D rendering, whereas microscopes only work in 2D. Wow. Uh, so so that, that hardware and that software allows for some really interesting impact. Uh, and the, the story the principal came and told our investment committee was that um, our hospital on the Sunshine Coast, the Seashell, um, Seashell Hospital, uh, was one of the pilot grounds for this technology to get tested. And so it, this, this story actually happened where a young uh, girl came in, I think she was eight or nine years old, um, and very ill and declining very quickly, uh, spent about a half a day going through a ream of tests and just got worse and worse and was very near death. And the doctors in Seashell Hospital were at a loss, at a, like a, an utter loss of what even to test, had no idea how to treat. Um, so they used the Views IQ technology, took a tissue sample and beamed it out to the internet and within an hour, um, a message came back from Johns Hopkins University saying, hey, we've seen that here. We've studied it. Here is the prescription. And within a couple of hours, she was sitting back up on her bed. And, That's and, a miracle story. And, and, it, and it literally saved her life. Imagine now that could go into every remote uh, hospital and clinic where there are no doctors. There right. are only nurse practitioners or nurses, you know, developing countries where there are no doctors, there certainly aren't sophisticated, highly sophisticated diagnosticians. So now you have access to the whole you know, global um, uh, resource of, uh, of diagnosticians. And so, and so that company, we, all we did uh, in our venture capital portfolio, in our fund, we did, I think we did a, I think we did a $100,000 investment in that company, very <laughs> early stage, maybe bought like three or 4% of the company's value. And needless to say, it is appreciating. Where Riza wants to go next is more significant investment to really get to scale. Um, but that gives you a sense of like, we're trying to find you know, opportunities to invest both in significant and scalable impact that can solve big problems in our world, uh, like climate change and so on. But we're also trying to work on the ground and do place-based investing that has meaning for locals. So I, I was gonna ask you a little more about that because I can immediately see one kind of value for the place, which means you're able to support a really local economic community development. But I think there are other reasons. I'm actually interviewing a couple other folks, uh, one out of the Midwest, Columbus, that they're investing only in the Midwest and they're driving everything to be about the Midwest. And I'm, I'm wondering how you got to the idea of place source. That's a pretty big shift, which we've been working on for 20 years. We're just yeah. so excited to see it happening. What do you see as the importance of that? Yeah, I think it is really critical from a, you know, building uh, healthy, diverse, resilient economies is going to be critical for us to solve any of the other problems. Like for us to tackle climate change, it's really hard at, as you know, at a local level to say, well, here's what I'm gonna do about that. But if you start eating locally, it matters. If you start buying from a farmer who's using regenerative agriculture to build soils and sequester carbon and so forth, you're doing a, a really significant part. So investing locally, you know, stops money from leaking out of the economy. Uh, more makes it more likely to uh, retain and multiply that locally and that then builds the both economic financial but also I would say intellectual and social wealth yeah. of a community 
to tackle bigger problems, to have to do small actions that have bigger ripple effects. So local investing, I think, is really critical. Our challenge is that the Sunshine Coast is a, first of all, we're ferry dependent. You can only get to the coast by a ferry. And um, we only have about 30,000 people who live here. Wow. So, so we needed to build um, a model that married both some global and scalable venture that was out, going to be outside of our community with local investing. In my view, you can either both build local investing um, that is not economically viable and needs to be shored up by other sources of money, or you can build uh, venture capital funds, which are economically viable, even profitably, but are challenged in terms of the impact aspect, or you can put them together. Yeah. And then you build a balanced portfolio of both income and impact, you know, local and global. And so that's what I think Rises is trying to model is that we, we ought not silo the types of impact and local investing from each other. And so no disrespect to the folks working in the Midwest. Uh, you know, the American market is quite different than ours in, in terms of where investors are at and, and density and those kinds of things. But, but uh, where we're at, I think, in Canada, and what I'm really interested in is figuring out how do we build, bring those venture capitalists in to be yeah. financing local projects and in turn having local projects have like global impact. Yeah. That, that's the work that I think we, I, you know, should be working on these days. So I want to share with you just a little bit about what Jessica's love is doing that I think is slightly different than what you're doing, just so we could interact a bit around it. Um, and the term place-based compared to place sourced, we'll explain it all. Okay. So place-based is like a geographic location where a set of people live in a more or less stable way and have to figure out how to function in that place because of either its isolation or whatever. Place source includes that, but it goes back and does a story of that place about how it got to be what it is. And I actually did one with the Lumi on, um, what's the name of that valley, the Kawachan Valley? Yeah, Vancouver Island. Right, right. With a group, because believe it or not, I have an undergraduate degree in economics. I have a master's degree in urban planning and business. And so we, we have a lot of overlapping things. And the, the, what we did when we did the British Columbia, and I can, we filmed a lot of this, so I can even give you a link and show you what they were doing with it. We brought in folks who are really good at reading the, the patterns of the geological era, the hydrological work, the biological stories, the settlement patterns, the economic patterns, the cultural patterns, and found what in the world that does to creating economic development that's actually not just about the physical thing, but is about the storying. And I'm a, a, rather than giving you that example, I'll give you one about Paonia, Colorado, which had even blown out of the, the works its ability to have an economic development council or a um, uh, even a city council because they couldn't work together. They and one of my colleagues was asked, and I sometimes go help them with the economic assessment. We went in and did this work. We have naturalists. I say we, I just, they're my friends, so I go and support it. But they looked at, with naturalists and with storytellers talking with indigenous peoples, they also did this, by the way, for Robert Redford, the movie star, for his area. And what they found is when they brought this back, that Paonia had always been a place that had been about uh, figuring out the hard stuff. They had figured out, they had mining, which you were just talking about. And in mining, 
what they were determined to do was to be able to build a safe and clean mine. Nobody ever heard of that. How could you build a mining process that's safe and clean? But right. they, were, they had a woman who was running it who eventually went to Denver and became the police chief. And she said, if you decide to do something, you can. Well, it turned out they had done a similar thing with schools where they had torn apart what we normally think of schools and created a whole different system that didn't have boundaries of public and private anymore. It had an ability of a community to work together. And again, it was finding work on the hard things. They built the first ever major solar panels and taught other people, created a school. They were an education place. Everything they did, including the mines, they started educating other mines. So they, this turned out to be a story even of the native, the indigenous people who had been in that area for years. They came together not just in trades and exchanges, but in learning to transfer what they knew. And it was very unique. Oh, yeah. this, this story, and there's much, much more to it, I think we even have some film on it, was brought back and I used it then to help do economic and community development there. And to and I don't do that work very often. I mostly work, as I think you know, with businesses. But I helped them understand what their foundation was. And we asked them, why do you live here? And they all talked about that. It was because they were, it was about learning. It was about teaching. It was about sharing. So we rebuilt a story that had an, instead of building a vision, which kept everything about your vision and your vision and how do we somehow integrate them where we're all mad at each other, mm -hmm. to starting it from the story. It allowed investments to be made, including by one of the Koch brothers who lives yeah. in that area, but he's, he's a renegade from what you know of the Koch brothers. He invested in order to create this learning community, and they then built a national drawing people to it, but also uh, doing, because it was in this era, they did a lot of it online. It ex exploded investment in the area because people could see that it wasn't just the place they were in, which was a mess, Right. But it was the story. So I'm wondering cool. how that resonates wow. with you as a, as a thing, since you're trying to think about local. Wow. Yeah, man. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and it's not something we've really tried to do. Well, um, you probably wouldn't have thought of it, but that's fine. Well, I you know, I, I'm, I'm almost sort of embarrassed to say I probably should have. Uh, no, no, uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I, that's why I want to introduce you to Nicholas. I want you to have more of a grounding of this that you could look at if you wanted to. And then part of what our foundation does is support found, uh, groups and investors who are trying to do this, usually philanthropists, but um, I'd love right. for them to support you doing that. Right. Yeah, cool. I... Um... I, as part of my graduate degree in planning, we did, uh, we had a, I'm trying to remember his name, Doug, somebody, but his expertise was in around, um, the, uh, effectively coming from that same place of really knowing all of the, uh, as you say, sort of physical, geological, cultural history, and then planning from that place. Yeah, yeah. Now, that was that was planning uh, for the sake of sort of land use planning, and and but but also you know building local economies in uh, in a you know thoughtful way. And so uh, in you know my heart and my values go, of course that's where stuff should come from. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I'll admit if if I have one shortcoming that I tell almost everybody about, it's that I'm impatient. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, this moves it faster. So this is the other thing that's amazing. Yeah. It makes developers have all the the skids, you know, grease for them. 
makes bankers more connected. And it also usually has a bigger return because you get more synergy in a community. So there are a lot of advantages, which, um, you know, I, again, I want to connect you with Nicholas and have you talked this in my work. I just sit on the board, right? I'm a person who makes decisions about what we help fund and uh, what our long-term thinking is. Right, right. Let me switch gears and ask you something else. You said. Well, sorry, sorry. Before you do, the, the only other comment, uh, another comment I'll, I just want to add in there. So we're do, we're beginning to do some work in developing an impact fund in the north, in, in the northern territories of Canada, yeah. which in many ways that that process would be much more easy to implement as part of our development process. Yeah. As opposed to like I come to Kelowna, which is a little bit of the, like the tech center of BC. Like there's a lot of technology companies and a bunch of people who like exited tech. So there's tech money and it's, and it's it fast for, for you to say, well, you know, let's take some time and take a look at the longer story here and how this all plays together is a bit, it falls on many deaf ears. Whereas yeah. in, in the North, and I don't mean to poo poo that it's not possible. No. Um, but whereas like in the north, and we're also at an earlier stage up there where we could layer it in sooner than later and have it become, you know, as effective as you're implying. Is that in the Okanagan? Yeah, Kelowna okay. is in the I've, middle of I've the I've already Okanagan. done a story of place for the Okanagan. I did it as oh, well. Um, and I think that's in the video of us presenting it to the uh, ADMs, is that what they're called? The, or the DMs. And then we had the premiere, this was uh, 10 years ago, so or not that long ago, eight years ago. But I, I know I took a team out of the group that does this, so we could share it with you. It might even yeah. be useful right now. I'm more than happy yeah. to share it. Uh, well, I met this morning with the um, Central Okanagan Community Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, who are wrestling with, like many community foundations, are wrestling with, well, we have... In their case, they have a $30 million endowment and not a single nickel of it is invested within the central Okanagan, right? They invest their endowments and it just goes to God knows where and in yeah. what to, what companies and, you know, and they have no idea. So lucky a little of the money comes back, but it doesn't really right? build the community. Nothing. It's not meeting their mandate in yeah. any way. Uh, so, so I would love to kind of get, you know, more of yeah. that uh, and share that story. That's a place where I think they would have an appetite for you know, thinking thoughtfully about what their role is in light of history and in light of those, you know, other factors. Right. So one other question I have, because of the way you currently present yourself, you say, I feel like I am an entrepreneur and particularly a social entrepreneur. And I'm wondering what that means in the midst of all these other things. What you're trying to do is be entrepreneurial and investing. But I know you also own a brewing company. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, I I own a a big chunk of and I'm sort of one of the co-founders of Persephone Brewing Company, and so Persephone, I would I would characterize it as a social venture. Okay. We technically it's legally incorporated as a for-profit company, but um, our mandate right from the get-go was to have a really positive impact. And so, as examples, and there's a lot of examples with Persephone, but as an example, it's. Uh, one of our owners is actually a charity that serves people with developmental disabilities. And so they are benefiting from our growth and our profitability as well. We hire a whole bunch of people with disabilities on our farm. Uh, our brewery is located on a farm. Wow. Uh, so they are some of our farmers and they're some of our brewers. And they're, so people, we're you know, really kind of challenging the idea of inclusion and really trying to push that to the next level. As well, and with respect to your work around sort of regenerative work, uh, 
our farm is, I think, in many ways, an example of what regenerative agriculture can look like and be viable. And so this is where sort of the social meets the entrepreneur in, in yep. my life. Um, you know, an example of that simple example is that our, all of our spent grain that comes out of the brew house after making beer goes into our composting facility space and then it mixed and, and, and um, managed and then becomes soil amendment for our crop yards, you know, for our hop yards and our market gardens. And so we're building soil, sequestering carbon and growing nutrition for our community all, you know, in an 11 acre farm. So it's an example of what I think social ventures can be. Uh, we're only five years old, so I want to, I want to, you know, caution about, you know, our respective size and, uh, and impact um, is awesome. And, and we're well up for it. And we're sort of doing like about $3 million a year in annual revenue. And, and I, I only offer it, if nothing else, as an example of what could be like, yeah. what if, you know, every brewery took this kind of a project on and so on and so forth. So I don't know what you know about my work at all, but there's one thing that I, uh, in teaching, and I, I do work with small companies, work with very large ones. I work with Google, I've worked with DuPont, P&G, but I also worked with Seventh Generation and Rebel and uh, Numi T and, uh, you know, a hundred of those kind of little folks in smaller groupings. And the first thing I tell them they have to start with, if they're gonna use the term regenerative, is they have to start with the essence. And mm. that in the place is the story of the place. But with a company, you'd have to look at you folks who founded it, and what is your essence? What did you bring into it? Why the hell did you name it after the underworld, right? <laughs> the daughter, right? <laughs> and I worked in Greece for a long time. So I know, and I know Persephone's who struggle with it. So there's gotta be a reason for that. But having that conversation, about what is the essence of it does the same thing for a business that it just did for what I was talking about in Paoni and what we did for economic development in the Okanagan and other places. Mm -hmm. So that might be a fun thing for you to play with um, we, for growing. We, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, and, and not wanting to, not, not, not second guessing or anything, but um, we, you know, I think where we came from uh, is, is that, is kind of that place, both, uh, myself and the other, you know, who I would call sort of co-founders, um, we've been working on social impact for a long time, both in the nonprofit sector and the in the uh, private sector, and and so and yet for for admittedly, it is like that that story isn't there's not an end to that story, you know, and so we continue to have the conversation really on a daily basis at our farm and our brewery about. Okay, what, what about now? Like, what does it mean now? What does it mean now in the day Absolutely. of the time of reconciliation in Canada? Yeah. And, 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 or that climate change is now a really big challenge. Uh, like, what, what are we doing about that? Um, so I think we're trying to have that, con that conversation and continue to tell that story. Right. Uh, but, but, but I take your point, and, and I don't know that we necessarily started from there. It, well, it was more like, I, and most people don't. Uh, right. What I'm doing a summit in the end of May, and the topic of that summit is essence expression, because the essence of you was always there, but it's usually you're young when you found it, you, you're running like crazy with less money, a big heart, uh, yeah. and now you're hiring people, now you're growing, and so to me, what's really happening, and I think this is another way of saying exactly what you're saying, is what you understand about it keeps growing. 
and what you can express it into. Can we think of new product offerings? Can we think of, of new community endeavors? All yeah. of them allow us to express more of who we are at some basic level, because yeah. I think that's what makes people non-displaceable, not only financially and you having long-term clients, but also in a community, uh, feeling like you're part of one. So I, I mean, I already think you're fabulous. I already decided that long before I got to talk to you, just reading oh, that. what you've done. So, Thank you. I, I, we very much, I mean, in, in many ways, we're, we're singing to each other's choir. We are. Um, we are exactly yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. Several paths that we overlap in. What is the best way for people to find out more or to potentially pose questions? I don't want to have your life get turned upside down, but do you have a website? Do you have... What do you have that would be helpful? Um, yeah, I mean, we we t we both of the you know both Rise of Capital and Persephone have websites, okay. and and they are full of contact information of our okay. team. Uh, so you know some of it, and and I don't mind uh, if people are interested in this work. Frankly, this is this is not my job; it's my life. Uh, so I don't mind people you know sending questions or inquiries or wanting to connect more. Just I'm happy to be you know accessible in in all of this work. Um, well, I'm just delighted to know you and know what you're up to, and I'm so glad that you were willing to take this time and 